I love that song. Sometimes a mistake we make with that song is we think that the song's saying, let's just forget about this world. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying in the midst of this world, give us Jesus. We stood outside of a store on Front Street in Keysville, New York. I was with a parishioner, and he was in with an acquaintance. We met up with an acquaintance of his on the Front Street, all the little shops there. I was the new pastor in the little church that was meeting in an old abandoned high school that they had turned into a civic center. And as we were talking, this man, I had not yet been introduced to him yet. He did not know I was a pastor. And in the conversation, let's just say, his language got a little spicy. And he began to kind of rip off, um, I know we call it colorful, colorful language, probably derogatory would be good too. And uh, it was pretty hot. Well, it was obvious that in that moment, it showed up. Well, the parishioner um, was, I think, a little embarrassed and then turned to the friend and said, um, this is our new pastor, <laughs> Pastor Jeff. And the man turned red, beat red, and he said something like this to me. He said, oh, Reverend, oh, Reverend. Always, whenever people preface my name with Reverend, I always, it's always interesting to me. Oh, Reverend, I just didn't realize you're a minister. I'm so sorry. And I recall distinctly I said something like this. I was very young. And I said something like this. That's okay. I'm sure God is used to hearing it. And he laughed, and I laughed, and we laughed. But it showed up. What showed up, you might ask? Well, what showed up is a prevalent cultural belief, a philosophy that's rooted in Greek philosophy that we call dualism. Now, we can go down all kinds of uh, trails with that about body and spirit, and material and immaterial. But fundamentally, there's a divorce between what is spiritual and what is not, what is sacred and what is secular. They have their own categories. Much can be said about this, but for the purpose of our message today, one place where this thinking so prominently displays itself is in the place we call Work. Work. So let's think about work this morning. This man that we encountered that day, once he knew what I did, assigned what I did to a different category than what he did, what others did. He assumed that what I did was sacred work. And yes, the call of God on the lives of women and men to the vocation of pastoral service in other areas is a high calling and a sacred one. It is. And yet, 
I want to posit a question to you. Is it any higher than the calling of the truck driver or accountant? The school teacher or sanitation worker, the nurse or the grocery cashier, the engineer or the salesman who prays the prayer that we just sang, give me Jesus, who seeks to live for Jesus Christ in this world today, is their calling any less than the calling of a pastor? So let's begin at the beginning. Work has a bad rap in many places. There's this stigma around work that is often negative. And a comment from Wendell Berry, I think, underscores why. He says this, It's easy to imagine the next great division of the world will be between people who wish to live their lives as creatures and people who wish, their lives as machine, who wish to live their lives as machines. It's the idea of being a human being versus being a human doing. Right? And this place where I just become nothing but what I do, do, do. And as many of you know, the workforce in our world is very good with that. In fact, the world's view of the workforce, so to speak, is contrary to God's view many times. From corporate America to consumer expectations, the worker is viewed as a commodity, as a utility, to be used for someone's own consumption. Well, in that environment, it's hard to see the vision God has for us when it comes to what we call work. No wonder work is viewed as a curse. And some Christians misappropriate the idea of work as associated with the fall of man and the curse of sin. Because Scripture tells us a different story. It's a different story. Whenever we read the creation event, we read the creation story, it's this beautiful portrait of who we actually are. So the scripture is going to be up here. If you want to turn to your Bible to Genesis 1, feel free to do that. But I would also invite you just to maybe even close your eyes and, and listen to the word about you and me. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so, it was so. And then you got to love verse 30, 31. And God checked out what he did and said, this is awesome. That's what it says. God saw that all he had made worked. All that he had made was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. How interesting is it 
that that was a really busy day. And when you read the creation account, it is laced with this image of work. I'd like for us to consider adopting a different term. Rather than the word work or job or even career, and some of you know exactly where I'm going, let's use the term vocation. And at the heart of the term vocation is the idea of calling. I remember serving on a board one time, and afterwards the, the president of that board said to me, when you're here, it really helps us have a sense of calling. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, when you're here, and that's because of being you know, a reverend at some measure, but when you're here, it makes us think that this is our vocation, our sense of calling. Vocation. I think no one has said it better than Walter Brueggemann and He's articulated it this way. A vocation is a purpose for a being in the world that is related to the purposes of God. A vocation is a purpose for a being in the world that is related to the purposes of God. It is, it is when what I do expresses the purpose for which God has created, created me for in fulfilling his purposes in the world. And so quickly we recognize that this does include our job or our career we have chosen, but it's much more expansive than that. And that is because the starting place with all of this is not what we do for work. It finds its origin in who we actually are. That, that the stamp of God's very good approval at mankind's creation included this idea of vocation. Hear it again. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them three times. We hear that term, created, created, created. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then he says, the next thing he says is, and plant some stuff. I'm going to give you seeds. I'm going to give you this. Do you see, and this is, this is rather revolutionary because this is not connected to the normal, to the dualistic understanding of what you're going to do, many of you are going to do tomorrow morning. When you go to work, what we call work, you make a living and you do those things. But when we start looking at God's revelation to us, what we discover is that our work is actually an expression of the sanctity of human life. That's a thought. It's an expression of the very sacredness of our identity as being human. It's rooted in the idea that God has embedded in us traits and power that he's not embedded in any other aspect of creation. So you're going to do stuff to this week, tomorrow, that no other aspect of all of creation is going to do or is capable of doing. What a thought that is. There's power to do at least three things. The first one is this. We are created to create. Part of God's image was his ability to create. We heard that over and over and over. We're made in that image. We have the ability to create. 
We are entrusted to be stewards of God's created order. That's the second thing. That's the whole idea of ruling over creation. It's not this oppressive, you know, ruling over creation to get what I want out of it. Rather, it's being stewards of what God's entrusted to us. And thirdly, there's an expectation in the creation narrative, and it's this. We are expected to join God in his work. As human beings, we're expected to join God in his work. If you go on to chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That's before the fall. The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And quite literally, those words, working it and taking care of it, kind of have the idea of serving God and protecting his interests in creation. It's a beautiful picture. It's a stunning, it's a stunning picture. Now, why is that all true? Because we are agents of God in the world to seek the well-being he has in mind. We are agents of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we're ambassadors of God to bring reconciliation and healing and the gospel and forgiveness and all that. Redemption. We are to participate with God in creating a world that flourishes. And we see this picture in Genesis 1 of this flourishing world. And we're to participate with God. We are to be fruitful. We're to fill the world. You and I are to join God in bringing the flourishing of God to the world. Another word for that, that beautiful Hebrew term is shalom. Right? So we read these words and to, to an exiled people in Jeremiah 29 who are not where they want to be. They're not where they prefer to be. They're in a world that's antagonistic to their faith. And this is the message to them. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The heart of what God intended for mankind in the Garden of Eden even extends itself when mankind is in the last place he was intended to be. But he's still to go into the world and to bring flourishing, partnering with God in that. Power is for flourishing. Power creates and shapes an environment where creatures can flourish. That's how Andy, Pout, Andy Crouch pens it in his book, Playing God. Power is to be used as God would use it. So he goes on and he says this, image bearing is for power. Think about that. We have power. Which means image bearing is for flourishing. The image bearers do not exist for their own flourishing alone, but to bring the whole creation to fulfillment. Wow. This is like a high view. This is... This blows all of that other stuff that we've been trained to think about when it comes to work away. This is a high view. Vocation is intended to be a sacred form of using our power to bring flourishing to others in the world. God has hardwired us. We are hardwired to be contributors to his desire for the world to flourish. It's that truth 
that takes a wrecking ball to the wall that divides the sacred and the secular, especially with regard to work. As image bearers, human beings made in his image, we are to carry the sacred. We are to carry the sacred into all we do to bless the sacred others around us. And we see that repeated over and over and over in Scripture. Remember Abraham? The Bible says he was blessed to be a blessing. It's over and over. So, a question that confronts me in this is how are my energies contributing to the flourishing God desires for the world and for the glory of God? How is that happening? How am I contributing to that? Every effort to love our neighbor as ourselves, every effort to bring relief to the impoverished and suffering, every effort to seek justice and mercy, every effort to produce good and opportunity for others to flourish, that has a lot of impact on commerce, doesn't it? Every impact to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ and to live the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of that is a participation with God in bringing his flourishing. So think of anywhere where you've done any of that. And guess what? You're partnering with God as one made in the image of God. Anywhere where we can apply Micah 6.8 to our lives. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Wow! This is pretty amazing to me. Some of you know the name Arthur Brooks. He teaches management practice at Harvard Business School. And in his book, Strength to Strength, he talks about the great composer, Johann Sebastian Bach, and what he viewed music as. He says this, Bach said that the aim and final end of music is the refreshment of the soul and the glorification of God. Interesting statement. Bach didn't say that the aim and the final end of all music is just playing as much music and writing as much music as possible. He didn't say it was about producing. He goes on and says, what that means is that the aim and final end of our work is to refresh the souls of other people. Wow. Wow. Is the aim and final end of my work refreshing the souls of other people? That's a measurement for sacred work. Brother David Reihoff wrote this, every calling, every vocation is directed to the welfare of others as well as ourselves. So God's call always stretches us beyond ourselves. There's no calling from God that doesn't benefit other people. I shared that last week. Remember, we're talking about the call of God here in life. But there's another barometer, another measurement for how we engage our work, this sacred work. And we find it in these words from Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, we read, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And you could read that whole section. But when I read that, hear what it's saying. 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart is. Where am I supposed to store up these treasures for heaven? Here on earth. This is the activation of eternal life in our world. You see, that's the beauty of the gospel. We believe, as I pray during our prayer, that death does not have the final word. We believe in eternal life. We believe that through Jesus Christ, as we place our faith in him, find forgiveness of our sins, that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ gives us new life into eternity. We don't just pick up some life out there when we die. We believe we live, start living eternal life now. The eternal kind of life right now. And that's what this is about. This is, the, this is his kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven in a very real way. So as image bearers, our work, whatever that work is, is where we live out the vocation as an expression of eternal life. This is about legacy in some ways. Desiring an eternal legacy. A forever legacy. And so another question that drills down to my heart. Am I sowing eternal seeds of God's kingdom? You know, am I sowing the kind of seeds that, that are eternal? We, we talk about living our lives in, in, through the lens of eternity, but do I view my work with eternal values? Tim Keller said, everyone wants to be successful rather than forgotten. Everyone wants to make a difference in life. But that is beyond control of any of us. If life is all there is, then everything will eventually burn up. Right? No one will even be around, he says, to remember anything that has happened. Everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we do will make any difference. And all good endeavors, even the best, they come to nothing. If this life is all there is. But now listen to what he says. Unless, of course, there is God. If the God of the Bible exists and there is a true reality beneath and behind this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones pursued in God's calling, can matter forever. That grocery clerk who's having a hard day because in the midst of this current cultural moment, we have lost our filter when it comes to those who serve us and we treat people horribly. When you go up to them and you say, listen, you have a good day, I'm praying for you today. You know what you just did? You just banked some eternal treasure in a sense. You're stamping your world with eternity. Right? What every, every, every small little thing that we do in the name of Jesus can matter forever. And so no wonder Paul writes when he's talking about the ultimate resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, the ultimate of all things eternal. He says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Earlier in the series, 
We mentioned the great church divorce where the idea of church is reduced to a physical, specialized, limited-use facility rather than an unlimited, divinely gifted and empowered human witness to the world. That's a form of dualism. In truth, partitioning off faith from the work life is not only counterintuitive to our faith, it's a disruption of it. It's not only counterintuitive to the Scripture's witness, it actually works against our faith when we partition work and other areas of life off from faith. Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not as human masters. So there's not this compartmentalization where, where faith has its place. Faith has its place. Faith in Christ is to be reflected in an integration of life around faith and by faith, this integration. And whether that is family, whether that is pleasure and recreation, whether that is my life in the church, whether that is the job I go to or the retirement that I'm living in, we are called to the vocation of sacred work. We are called to partner with God in the flourishing of others and the world, which then means something really important, and it's this. Sacred work is not for the clergy alone. It's not. It's really important. And in some ways, the clergy have hurt the church. Where at times we probably have done things that we should not have. But should have been everyone doing them. Now, is there a place for those who live out of call to serve God's church in a religious vocation? I sure hope so. <laughs> yes. I've given three decades plus to it, sensing that. But I also have given myself to vocation of husband and father. Do you know, I've given myself to vocation of church member. Sacred work. I've given myself to the vocation of citizen. All these different things. It's all sacred work. The vocation of the ministry is the work of us all. That is true in the ministry and life of Christ's church, within Christ's church, and it's true in our ministry and life of Christ's church in the world. It's all sacred work. We read these words. We read them a couple weeks ago. 1 Peter 4. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Various forms. We are all called to sacred work. What does sacred work look like? Well, there was an editorial in a local paper. And some folks wrote about a person and how they were carrying out their work. And the person's a member of our congregation. And this is what they write about that person. He's an example of, a gra under, of grace under pressure. He does all this with a humble, kind, and gentle demeanor. This is in the public newspaper. During this precarious time, there are many whose professional lives have been disrupted. 
Sometimes it seems there are not enough people who rise above the anxiety, unease, and uncertainty to remind us of the importance of providing comfort in every encounter, who do their jobs in an exemplary way and make others' lives better. And this is how they ended it. Thank you, Bruce Wilson. Bruce Wilson's a pharmacist at CVS. And every faction of the medical world has been under great pressure. And I talked to Bruce about this. Talked to him about it this past week. And you know, hear what was said. Humble, kind, gentle demeanor, making other lives better. I can tell you about the material handler who goes to work faithfully every day in our congregation and deals with handling materials and stuff. But I don't know of anyone that I've ever met in some ways who carries such a deep burden for his co-workers. Always praying for them, always worrying about them. He's always worrying about them. It's not his job. It's not in the job description. It's in the vocation application. I think about the manager who wants to see the highest and best good for his employees. Even when it was time to let them go because of mistakes in their own life, made sure that they were cared for. I think about the school teacher who weeps over the students, her high school students, when they're cut off from the opportunities to have. They're in our congregation. I think about the program manager who has above his desk to the glory of God. I think about the retiree who faithfully, consistently prays for people, calls them, just calls them, doesn't wait for the pastor to do it. He does it. Connects to them. Seeks them out. I think about the plumber who just shows up when he's needed. I think about you. So many of you who have given yourself to sacred work wherever you are. Dorothy Sayers said, all work done well and for God's glory is Christian work. Say that with me. All work done well and for God's glory is Christian work. What if she's right? Let me ask you, who's prepared to practice the sacred work? Some of the sacred work in the church. Who's prepared to practice the sacred work of the youth group? Thanks be to God for those six adults who are tenaciously committed. Thank you. And for the children's ministry, we show up for sacred work. For the worship technology people, the only time we know they're up there is when something goes wrong. Right? All of a sudden you get some feedback or the slides don't work and suddenly we know they're up there. Sacred work up there. What about the welcoming team? What about the other ways to serve one another in the body of Christ, in the church, 
sacred work. Now, if this is true, if all this is true, if all work done well and for God's glorious Christian work, who's the minister in the engineering department? Who's the pastor in the classroom? Who's the priest at the family dinner table? Who's the minister at the job site or at the pharmacy or at the hospital? Now, those of you who are music aficionados probably know the name John Coltrane. Coltrane was uh, a jazz saxophonist, right? Well, Coltrane had an encounter with Christ. And it changed how he saw what he did. In fact, it inspired an album, maybe his most famous album, called Love Supreme. It's, in, it's, it's jazz music, it's jazz saxophone. Those of you who have heard it, it's, it's a great album. Coltrane said that he had a spiritual awakening that led him to a fuller, richer, more productive life when he came to faith. And then he wrote this about that album called Love Supreme. And Tim Keller quotes him. He says, All praise to God. This album is a humble offering to Him. An attempt to say, Thank you, God, through our work, even as we do in our hearts and tongues. May He help and strengthen all people in every good endeavor. My friends, we are so much more than what we do. We are image bearers. May that be so as we live out the vocation as image bearers in the world. May we do that in the truth of God's love for us and the presence of Jesus in us and the power of the Spirit through us for God's purposes and to God's glory. May we each attempt to say, thank you, God, through our work even as we do with our singing and our praying as we've done this morning, may we do it with our work. Whatever that sacred work may be, wherever it finds us doing it, whether home or in the office or on the job site or in the church, and may it be an offering of worship to God. God has called us to sacred all of us, because he's made us like himself in his image, intending to bring his goodness and his grace and his flourishing to the world. So let us be about the sacred work that God has called us to. Thanks be to God. Amen.